Hey everybody, welcome back to In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. This week we're discussing episode 6 of season 3, Scavengers. I'm Kevin, one of your hosts, and I'm also joined by my other host. Ethan, which is me, and I am here to discuss what we all witnessed. For the second time, by the way. Yeah. I've, I've always listened to, po- I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I've... Every podcast, I think, except for a couple, have always had an episode where they say, this is our second time doing this because we had technical difficulties, and it's yep. never happened to us. What are we, 80 episodes in? <sighs> never happened roughly? to us, and it did, finally. Well, to, to, to be a little anecdotal for the, for the audience, so we did record this episode. We had a great conversation, and then as we were wrapping up, I began to realize I didn't actually... So I recorded it, but I got your feed. We didn't get my feed, so we, it's oh. you talking to nobody. <laughs> That's the perfect podcast, just yeah. me. So what had happened was, I, because I normally do game streaming using OBS software, but I don't actually record my voice as I'm playing most of the time. So I had that mm. channel muted, and I decided to use OBS to record this time, and I forgot to unmute it. So as we were wrapping up, I was like, I think we took a pause, and I looked, and I was like, oh, shit. And you know what's very strange too? You always record us a little bit and listen to it before you start. I do, I do. And it was the but one you didn't time do it I, yesterday. It was it was the one time that I didn't. And wow. as soon as I said, "Oh shit," you were like, "You didn't record us, did you?" I'm like, "No, I did. I just didn't record me." Yeah, I suggested that he just go back and ADR his side of it. Yeah, that was not going to happen. But he didn't. He didn't want to go for that. No, that would be an editing <laughs> nightmare. I it would be funny. Yeah. So, but we're sitting here. On a Tuesday, two days before Thanksgiving, for those who celebrate it in the U.S., I assume that you are getting ready to do a whole lot of nothing, given that we're in a, <laughs> still in a pandemic. Yes, Dr. Fauci said, don't go see your family. Hmm. Yeah. And so, don't go see your family. <laughs> yeah. That's our advice. That's probably what I'm going to be doing. Uh, not to say that I rebel against advice, but... It's like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be doing it. So, you're not going to be doing what? Seeing my family. I don't. Oh, yeah. I don't think I'm going to be doing it. You know, it's and you know, here's the thing. And I'm not going to. I don't mean to be painting a picture like this, but you know, I have a family. My my family follows the rules. They they do the rules. But for some reason, my immediate family just seems to think, oh yeah, well, it's just us. Yeah. I'm like no, it's. Yeah, but that doesn't change yeah. anything. And they're not like they believe that the virus is real and they believe it's dangerous and all that, but they just yeah, they just right. I, I, I not willing to give up Thanksgiving. Well, I think it's because there's this feeling that I think they're assuming that all of us are basically under lockdown. I mean, I'm under lockdown, but my two other siblings have kids and they, in some cases, have to go out for stuff. So yeah, and, and you are not in lockdown. I mean, you go to CVS, you go. To the grocery store, you right. you know, yeah, sparing sporadically, but uh, and sparingly, yeah. uh, but but when I you know when I go out, I obviously do wear a mask. I do have hand sanitizer with me at all times. It's getting cold out, so I'm always wearing my winter gloves. So, and I and I wash my hands like so much. So yes, yes, I I I, I mentioned before, I'm a teacher in high school. Now we don't have students in the school. We only have teachers. And teachers only have to go in three days a week yeah. to teach remotely. But even with that, on a, two teachers got COVID from each other. Well, one had it, brought it into the building, and then got it from the other one. Yeah. 
and that's with you know a skeleton crew in the building so Damn. it you never know what's gonna you never know and i mean we've even though i feel like i've taken good precautionary steps i still consider myself to be lucky why? So I, I just like I still consider myself lucky to have avoided it. I mean I know a lot of people are getting it. We live in the most densely populated city in our state, which has the most cases, and we have successfully avoided getting it. So yeah. I just I, I, I don't think know, I just feel lucky. I just feel like I've been There's lucky. another way we're lucky. Yeah. Here's how we're lucky. We both have jobs where we don't have to continue to be around people. Right. That's the biggest thing that we're looking for. Not in person, for. anyway, yeah. We got to work at home from home, mostly, or in my case, with a very limited crew. And I'm in a classroom by myself, so I'm pretty safe. But, you know, if if, if we were um, had a different kind of job, if we worked in medical field or, you know, retail or something, right. a grocery store, we would, uh, you know, so... Yeah, we're not, we're not frontline people, so... No. Those are the no, ones we're so, really... Who are really putting it on, put it in, putting it out there? So I have nothing but respect for them. So oh yeah, but, I, know, I, I was very fortunate. Not only was I able to stay safe, I was able to continue to be paid. So yeah, I recognize how lucky. And you know, look, and I also consider myself lucky in the sense that if we don't do Thanksgiving this year, if we don't do Christmas this year, you know, I've already told my family, like you know, guys, look, this this is not the last Thanksgiving or the last Christmas, you know, for us. I mean. And that's where I feel like I'm lucky. I know some, unfortunately, it could be. But, you know, we'll be here next year, guys. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. My family is still having it, and they sort of have the same attitude. Like, oh, but it's just us. Yeah. And uh, some of my family lives in, in a three-family house together. So, like, well, we're all in the house anyway. I said, oh, and I started to think about it, and I said, yeah. also, your aunt's coming, and your cousin's coming, and all this, so yeah. they just, uh, you know, they really want to have Thanksgiving, so they're having it, and uh, I'm not going to be a party to it, because I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to live myself if I got my parents, who are older, sick. <laughs> That's the other thing, mine are too, yeah. So, but other than that, I've been spending time just, again, home, working, playing a lot of video games. I just finished... Spider-Man, Miles Morales, and now I'm deep into Hyrule Warriors, Age of Calamity. And it's been good. I, I've got nothing but amazing things to say about both games. Spider-Man was fantastic, or amazing, I should say, is more fitting. So, <laughs> well, spectacular also spectacular. works. Spectac- well, but you want to say the amazing Spider-Man, right? Yeah, but Spectacular Spider-Man was another comic. And then there's Web of Spider-Man. You can see yeah, it was, web of. It, was, it was great. Uh, I would say my only complaint about... Spider-Man Miles Morales is that it was too short. Yeah, I was surprised that you're finished with it, honestly. Yeah, it wasn't... I I think... I I don't know this for a fact, but I think what ended up happening was... Because it was also a PS5 launch title. And I think... My guess is that it could have... Because they've released DLC content for the other Spider-Man game that came out a few years ago. This was short enough, in my opinion, to where it could have probably been DLC... But I think they wanted to probably put it on a disc and optimize it for the PS5 and use that as a selling point to get the the PS5. And and also some people like discs. I mean, I like discs too. But, yeah. But did it have anything significantly new or different from the other Spider-Man game, other than the fact that you're Miles? Well, so Miles is actually in the other game, and his story Mm -hmm. is set up there, but it doesn't really... 
resolve. You play as him a couple of times, but that's about it. And he helps Peter Parker out with some stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but this one, it's the same, you know, reuses the same world, the same assets, all that stuff. It's just a different story, follows a different villain. So, huh. and they write it in like Peter's away, he goes to Europe. And so Miles is kind of taken over for him. But the end of the game actually ends with the two of them. And so it's like, there's this idea that, oh yeah, there are, so now New York City is coming to gripes with like, okay, we have two Spider-Man, Spider-Mans, Spider-Men now. So, and it actually ends with them on a cool shot of both of them side by side, which I thought was pretty sweet. That's kind of a bummer though, that it's sort of could have just been, I thought it was a completely new game. And honestly, what I was thinking when I heard about it was that it would have kind of the art style of the, the animated film. I would have loved that. I would have loved that. I, I think my my biggest gripe with it is, I mean, again, as I said, too short. It's an open world game, which I think is a fantastic idea for a Spider-Man game. That's the best thing about a Spider-Man game, in my opinion. But it's a in the original one, there isn't a whole lot to do outside of the story, some side quests, and solving and stopping crimes. But it, so it gets to be very repetitive. It's a, it's it's a it's a very repetitive world pretty quickly. And I would have hoped that with this one coming out, they would have taken the opportunities to really make the world a little bit more vibrant, a little bit more alive, more stuff to do. But it's kind of more of the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still but it's still a fun game. The original Spider-Man is still a fantastic game. It's it's one of the best games I've ever played. It's I just I love it so much. But I would have it would have been nice had they actually added a little bit more to it to make it a little bit more vibrant and just a little bit as I said a little bit more vibrant, a little bit more alive. So got it. Yeah. So and obviously Hyrule Warriors is kind of it's just it's just so beyond perfect if such a phrase can exist. Yeah, I played the demo, and I have to say I was so surprised of how much it felt like I was just playing more Breath of the Wild, which I love, or a prequel to Breath of the Wild. Well, I it's what I think is so great about it. I mean, there's so many things about that I think are so great, but it's it's a prequel in the truest sense because Zelda games are not known for having such direct continuity with one another. They're always very vague in their sort of connections to one another. They always talk about the hero of time and how he did this, and you just think, like, okay, they could be talking about... Okay, maybe they're talking about Ocarina of Time here, or maybe they're talking about this one, but it's vague enough to where you could think it's any... But this, like, this is the exact same world, this is the exact same map, this is all the same assets from Breath of the Wild, and yeah. I'm actually... And you clearly can see that this is setting up the exactly. world that you woke up in. And it's, like, literally at the point where, like, I'll go to Hyrule Castle and go into a battle, and all these guardians come after me, and I'll destroy one, and it'll fall and just sort of, like, you know, be defeated. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, like, I remember seeing that guardian being all inert in the other in, oh, in breath of the wild. wild so like it's that that's exciting it's that connected so yeah when i'm done with this i'm obviously gonna want to now go play breath of the wild because it's just it's so forgive the pun it's so linked together <laughs> that yeah. I mean, I haven't finished the game yet, but I, I'm assuming it's going to be one of those games. It's going to end with probably Link going into his hundred year slumber, and then that's where Breath of the Wild. And then hundred years later, that's where Breath of the Wild picks up. But like, there's something about in Breath of the Wild walking around the ruins of Hyrule Castle, knowing that I participated in that battle in yeah. another game. I just I love the new lore they've done with these Zelda games. So yeah, that's um I. 
already replayed it in regular and then in master mode during shutdown. Yeah. So I'll, I probably will play uh, Hyrule Warriors. Though. I would highly but encourage I, I have to say, it was... And then I actually started playing it again. And I, it's amazing. I was able to play it through two times, almost in a row. Like the second and third time playing it through. And I it was still good. Which is remarkable. I, n- I never replay video games. Breath of the Wild to me. That game is almost four years old, if you can believe that. And it's not exactly an original thing to say, in my opinion, that it's when if somebody says this is one of my, this is one of my if not my favorite game of all time but i've never played a game like this in that the replay value is just so good it's just so there's so much of it and even now i'm still just amazed by just the attention to detail they i was showing it to somebody a friend of mine today from work cuz he's going to be getting a switch and i was like taking him through like breath of the wild and just showing him what you could do and I said those. I said these exact same things. Like it's just the attention. They thought of everything, absolutely yeah. everything. Like the tiniest, tiniest detail. It really and it ruined other video games for me for a while. It oh my god, because I started absolutely. to try to play something. Um, maybe Elder Scrolls. And when the first time I walked up to a rock and I just kept on walking in place into the rock and I couldn't climb up yeah. it, I was just so angry. No, I, I absolutely agree because it is such it is because Legend of Zelda is supposed to be an open world game and they were not successful at that in some of the later games. They they became much they became very linear and it was difficult to just allow you to go out and do whatever you wanted. Right. Whereas the first game they did as much as they could given right. the technology. But amazingly, the thing that they take from the first game is that if you play the first game. All of Hy- like ninety percent of Hyrule is accessible immediately, right? Yes. And there's not really a linear progression to the game until you really start getting to like maybe level f- the fourth dungeon, I think. Mm-hmm. Because once you get items, it, now you need that item to access this part and that part. But um, it was just the idea that you can just go out and do whatever you want. I, I would say Breath of the Wild's only real failing is that. Hyrule as a world in that game is not that interesting. It doesn't feel alive. It it oftentimes it feels like you're the only one there. Yeah. So maybe you are. I mean, it has been apocalypsed. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you occasionally run into other people, but at the same time I think to myself, who am I saving exactly? Because I'm not seeing anybody <laughs> around here, right? So Right. I imagine would, imagine if they had it Imagine that same game but then add in all the people like in in other games. Yeah. So when Breath of the Wild two comes out, my hope is that they make they make kind of like what I was saying about Spider Man. They make it a much more vibrant world. So yeah, maybe people have now returned that had left because of all the monsters or yeah. something. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to be doing over Thanksgiving break and until Cyberpunk comes out. So I assume you've been playing a lot of chess. I have been playing a lot of chess. Actually, chess uh, came out for Switch. They have a chess with a you know online function, and you can play against other people and whatnot. But it doesn't compare to Chess.com, so I right. did get it and I play it sometimes. Um, yeah, I've been doing pretty well. My my rating's gone up a bit. Um, um, you know, for me, it's getting up there. But I've been hitting this new level of understanding where I'm realizing I'm not just thinking one or two moves ahead. 
I'm thinking like four or five moves ahead. Right. And I'm realizing I'm seeing things that I couldn't see before where I'll see that there's a piece somewhere and I'll realize, oh, I would like to do this, this, and this. But first I have to get rid of that other piece. So I have to sacrifice something because it'll be worth it just to move that piece out of that spot. And then I can do my plan. So I think I'm hitting a new level of understanding. Hmm. So that's exciting. And a person's chess skill is just ever evolving. Um, right. Like it you can know. be. I mean, I, I think you can top out if you just keep playing and not studying. Hmm. I guess you could probably just level off. That's the thing about, I mean, as we've talked about before, I don't know how to play chess, but one of the things about it that fascinates me is having to do what you described, having to think not one, not two steps, but like four or five steps ahead. Yes. Because it's yes. all about like a chain reaction. If I do this, well, then this could happen and then that could happen. Yes. And some, a lot of times when, you, when it starts to make more sense, you start to know what the other person's going to do. Right. Or, you know, within reason. It's everything, you know? every move builds on each, builds on each other, builds on each yes. other. Yes. Right. And yeah. then when you're in the place where you can know, oh, I, I want them to do this because it's going to be better for me. So I'm going to right. make a move that's going to make them do that. Right. Even though they don't even know they want, they don't, you know, right. um, I'm, yeah. So it sounds like a way to describe it is it's a game more about, not only just about strategy, but it sounds like it's really about sort of manipulation. Uh, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it is, yeah. Because you also want to lead them down potentially the wrong path so you can sneak by and get get to there. Yes. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll like submit, you'll send down like a fake thread. Mm-hmm. So you'll like start moving a piece down the board on one side just because you want them to focus on that piece when really your plan is on the other side of the board. And I have to imagine that when you actually get a checkmate, it's one of the most satisfying feelings. It's so satisfying because yeah. especially when when I see it three or four moves out and then I'm like, oh, if everything goes right, I'm going to get this checkmate. And then when I do... It's so satisfying. It really is. Because you start getting like butterflies in your. I start getting butterflies in my yeah. stomach when I like I can see it. Uh-huh. Like, oh, I see it. I see it. Right. Are they going to see it before I can execute it? That's but it's also. But I got to say, it's also probably got to be equally the worst feeling in the world when maybe you're one move away from oh, getting yeah. it, and then. Yeah. Yes, I have that. I've had that happen a lot because sometimes when I'm going for checkmate, I'll start to just. Um, ignore my other pieces, so they could be taking my other pieces, but I don't care because I know I'm only a couple moves away from checkmate. Yeah. So sometimes though, um, you know, they'll kind of beat me to it. Yeah, you're making me want to learn it a little bit now. I'm telling you, it's very, it's very, it's like I say, it's it's easy to learn, but you can impossible to master unless you're like. Yeah, the learning part's the e- is the easy part. It's 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 actually developing the skill that. Is the challenge, I assume. Yeah, yeah, and it's fun to play at any level. But you say it's and also. And I would love to teach you because I like. But you say it's also a good sort of like mind exercise too, right? It's good. I think so. Yeah, it really has helped me um, concentrate, focus. Mm. I think it's just good exercise to focus because you really got to give it your whole attention, and you got to keep, you know, multiple thoughts in your head at once. You got to be realizing, like, all right, I got to keep my eye on that and this, and then. Projecting well, forward, I think it's good for one's brain. Keeping in context, one of my from one of my favorite Star Trek episodes, if not my favorite of all time, the Corbomite maneuver, when Kirk is bluffing Baylock, 
Kirk says to Spock, it's not chess, Mr. Spock. It's poker. Because <laughs> yeah, because Spock's always playing three. Oh, yeah. I've I've um I've been looking into how to play the Star Trek chess, and it's um I'm gonna learn. It's it's a little weird, but I'm intrigued <laughs> enough to try to learn it. And there is a um this really really old. Someone made an emulator or like a simulator, you know. Mm. But you can tell they made it in the '90s or something. Oh yeah. But uh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm gonna learn. Well, let's get into Trek. So yes, you see, we took a long time. Did you notice, everyone? We took a long time talking about other things because I think we were kind of dreading avoiding the issue. No, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we have a lot to say about this episode, uh, but I think right now the sort of general consensus between the two of us is we're very. It's. We're it's a it's a mix of like we don't know we're not sure but also there's a lot of there's some real frustration in there too with this episode so because just more questions than answers of course but like questions to things that didn't seem important before and then of course. The frustration also comes in how the episode actually ended. So, yeah. and I'll say it like I said it the other two times that we recorded this. <laughs> One day, when historians look back on season three, if this season goes in a negative direction, if it winds up being not a great season, I believe they will look at this episode as the turning as the point. one. Yeah, agreed. If I mean, I'm still holding out hope. It's on. It could go okay. Yeah. yeah. But we have concerns. Now. We're, we're having concerns, yeah. This is not unlike the control Red Angel moment last year. So, uh, But I, I will say, in, 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 in all fairness, in all fairness, I'm not seeing anything that is sort of like a plot hole. It's just more the ch- choice of what they decided to prioritize. Yeah, no, it's not a plot hole or holes. It's just last season there were plot holes. We're left to wonder why they're choosing to show us what they're showing us, and why mm. they're choosing to not show us what they're not showing us. Right. And it just seems like they're not showing us the most important and int- things we would find most interesting. Right. Well, let's get some of the other stuff out of the way first before we actually dive into the meat of this. So, yes, when the episode begins, we actually see the USS Discovery getting upgraded to its 32nd century standards. And the overall log entry that, well, not a log entry, but a report that Saru is giving to the Admiral at Starfleet. And the most noticeable difference right off the bat is that it's now USS Discovery NCC-1031A, which has been a long-standing tradition in Trek that successor vessels have a letter attached to the end of their registry numbers. This one's a little different in the sense that this is still the same ship. In the past, it's always been a newly built starship. So, yeah, in this case, I mean, okay. There's not re- I don't really think there are any rules applied to this, but I think it's sort of their way of getting around these this sort of like time travel situation that's been outlawed. So... Oh, okay. Someone asked, "Where did the ship come from?" Yeah, where the ship come from? But you know, some interesting. So interesting. It seems th- though, how are you going to? What would they? What 
how are they going to punish people that time traveled from before time travel was banned? Right. But I I asked what I asked a few weeks ago. Who's upholding this law? Yes. Who's enforcing this? That's a very good point. I'm not saying enforcing this. I'm not saying nobody nobody is. So let's do it. But like at least, at least tell me. Yeah. Oh man, that's another thing because it just seems like that's just a convenient plot device. Well, here's the thing. we have to make sure they can't go back. Well, here's the thing. To make it illegal. It could also just be the Federation's upholding it in good faith because they're the Federation. Yeah, right? but but also, yes. if Vance wanted to change it, I mean, what's left of the Federation? He seems to be in charge. He could change it if he wants. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the ship's color scheme has changed to be much more silver and in line with other ships. It's no longer bronze, which I ne- which personally I never liked. The Another interesting thing, I would say the most interesting thing, if not strangest, are the detached warp nacelles. Yeah, they're for increased um, maneuverability and uh, efficiency for some reason. Which, okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. is that a problem that we, the viewers, should have seen prior? Like, oh, God, I wish they would detach those warp nacelles to increase that maneuverability. I yeah, mean, no, it doesn't make any sense. I'm yeah. sure it looks cool. And all I have to say to that is good luck, Eagle Moss. <laughs> Uh, interesting point, actually. So something I found out in between our recording sessions. So over on Instagram, CBS has set up an account called Star Trek Logs, where we actually get some additional log entries by some of the characters that, that are read in voiceover by the actors. A recent one that was done by Jet Reno reveals that the ship actually got some holodecks. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, man, are we going to get a holodeck episode? God, I hope <laughs> not. Oh man, I, I yeah, I hope not too. I'm afraid to say that I, I think if we got a, ho- a holodeck episode, I think it would be the most cringeworthy. I'm actually, thing. I'm a little surprised though that they even would still have holodecks now that they've got this programmable matter. That's like, a what's point. a 32nd century holodeck look like? What's a 32nd holodeck century holodeck do that a 24th century one couldn't do? Yeah, right? maybe it's like um. Um, it's like, I don't know, the toaster, right? You can't really improve it. The toaster's been the same for since it was a true. practically. True. So maybe you just don't have to upgrade it. You somehow, much. you know, the electrons can make a toast faster or something. I don't know. Yeah, because you yeah. see, like, the programmable matter seems like it would make it more realistic, but it already was realistic. Right. You know, like, it already had physical presence to the holograms, so. Yeah. Yeah. They got some very interesting new Starfleet badges. You know, they got the com badges, which are not, which now also function as pads and tricorders and even personal transporters. We know this because Linus is transporting himself all over the ship because he can't seem to get a handle on it, which I thought was pretty, which I did think was pretty funny. Yeah, per Linus though, he's always the butt of the joke. Yeah. Well, it was funny. I think when he appeared on the bridge and he goes, "Oh, new com badge," I thought to myself, <laughs> "Like, is he doing like the whole like new phone who dis?" <laughs> That's so, and, uh, you know, the consoles have programmable matter in them, and now even the spore drive is no longer have, has to be controlled by Stamets. At least well, it does. He just has to stick his fingers in the goo. He just stick his hands in them, yeah. No more uh, port on his arm. That's nice. Yeah. So, yeah, it's cool, I think. But uh, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I, I, it, how do we – and it was something I never actually considered – Right, because my my big concern was how do you how does Discovery as a ship survive this century? I, for some reason, I never thought, oh, maybe they'll just upgrade it. I just right. I don't know why it never occurred to me. To never occurred to me. 
Here's the interesting thing, though. I was very surprised that they didn't mention anything about shields or weapons, because it yeah. seems like those are the two things that would be most important to upgrade. Right. They weren't mentioned at all. So, I wonder. Yeah. Well, I mean, they probably were. Okay. Whenever they get into battle with uh, the Emerald, again, the though, Emerald Chain. Once again, though, I would say their choice in what is important enough to put on screen is odd. Mm. Because yeah. I would think shields and weapons would be really important. Yeah. Even that they're a thousand years in the future, and I'm sure weapons and shields have come a long way. Agreed. Agreed. So one more thing that bears discussing its own thing before we actually get into the meat of the episode. Uh, Giorgio. Now, Giorgio obviously was a major factor in this episode, but I I just, I, I don't know what's going on there. Like now she's suffering what seems to be, actually not what seems to be, is flashbacks. I did some screen caps and she was having flashbacks to the events that we saw in the mirror universe as well. So, yeah, I don't know what's triggering. We don't know what's triggering that, obviously. I think something that Mr. Cronenberg's character, I think he may have done something to her, potentially off screen. But uh, I think he's responsible <laughs> in some way. I, I don't know why. I don't know where they're going with it. I don't know how it's related, even if it's related. So, yeah, I don't know. Do you have any... Do you have any Thoughts? Yeah, I think, like you said, off screen. I don't know. What was the point of not showing us? Yeah. Are they just not showing us things for the sake of not showing us things? So there could be a reveal? Because it doesn't feel like it's helping the story at all. But my issue with this is that the thing I don't like about it is how it affects her relationship with Michael. Right. Where later in the episode, she. Um, was being kind of friendly and jokey and giving her a hard time. And yeah. then after the flashback, she wouldn't let Michael try to help her in any way. Right. And she talked about how another Michael looked at me just as sincerely and then betrayed me. Hmm. Um, so here's my problem, because I w- I've talked about this for a while, that I think that relationship could be interesting as it was. You didn't have to go monkey around with it. Right. Here you have a mirror universe person who has like cares about someone from the prime or the regular universe and it kind of goes against their nature she doesn't quite know what to do with it i think that was interesting to see what would happen with that and i think georgio's in a and they as much as allude to it with that line of dialogue but uh i think georgio is also is also feeling that she She's always been somebody who has been in control, right? She's an, she's she was an emperor. She kind of had her shit together when she was with Section Thirty One. Like even though she technically answered to Leland, she still kind of did what she want wanted. She's always been somebody who's she's always done stuff on her terms when she's want when she wanted to. And I think now she's in this position where like this weird stuff is happening. She doesn't know what it is. Asking for help is going to be show signs of weakness or even vulnerability, and I don't think she wants she wants that. Yeah, yeah, but I think it also I think there was a distinct difference before and after the flashback in her attitude. I just um, 
I think it needlessly complicates it. It's almost like I feel like we don't have time for this right now. Like there yeah, are more important things to, fo- to, to focus our attention on. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you here's the thing. I say keep doing it, but don't have it take up more time each week. Right? Maybe don't even do it every single week. Right. Like, I wish we could just, just let us know what's going on so we can be along for the ride instead of right. Because um, you know we've talked about this before, but we felt that in Picard there was a good kind of almost a cadence to the mystery reveal, right? New mystery reveal. Yeah, they, whereas they, I don't think Discovery quite has that down. Picard didn't didn't dangle it for too long, right? And yeah, I'm, and you I'm get thinking, an answer, and that would lead us to another question. And I'm thinking about um, what's her face. The doctor who killed Bruce Maddox, right? Yes. Like they didn't sit on that for too. Like they didn't sit on the sort of secret of that for too long. Right. Well, it was like one episode. I think it was like one or two. Yeah, it wasn't that. It wasn't that long. Yeah. yeah. And that was only the one, the only one kind of big unanswered thing. Right. Right. So because you know Raffi had some screen time with trying to reconnect with her son, but the other characters didn't they were just kind of slightly ancillary like they weren't really there for they weren't really developed too much yeah they all had their little arc but they didn't they have their own arc. mystery that's right. the problem they all there had, was a main mystery yeah and then there was the slight sub mystery with the doctor and, yeah but yeah there wasn't everyone didn't have their own secret that we had to figure they out they all had or, a role they all had a specific function on that show and they all served it did it well Indeed. Yeah. And I feel that I'm not confident that um, there's anything for me to figure out here. Right. I just feel like I have to wait until they decide to tell us because I don't think they exceed the answers well. Right. And see, and this is this is sort of my frame of mind last season where I felt like, okay, you're beginning to pile on too much stuff now. Mm-hmm. Like you're going fine, but now you're adding too many layers upon this. Like your cake is good. You don't need to put on four more layers of it before this thing collapses in on itself. Right. Before it collapses under the weight of all of this. Right. So and maybe though, maybe if they're connected in some way, then that's at least something they are. I think I'm just worried because we've been down this road before and we know how it went and I don't want it to happen again. Yeah, I so, think it's going to personally. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I'm also not uh, too too hopeful. So, um, I but, actually I just realized something. Okay, <laughs> here's why I think it's going to go down the same way. Go on. If the writers and producer, because it's Kurtzman track. Uh, kind of, but I have a more backup. Yeah. Okay. I think it was our hope that after they heard all the things about... Well, that hope is you. (laughs) The hope is us. Sorry, I keep cutting podcast. Yes. Um, Wouldn't you like to think that when they heard all the critiques after the finale, they said to themselves, they looked at it, they actually said, you know what, let's take a look and see. And they said, you know what, man, actually people have some legitimate points here. Maybe this, you know, maybe we did kind of mess up the season a little bit. But the fact that when they had Star Trek Day, 
they did a table reading of that episode shows me that they have no um they didn't learn any lessons at all Hmm. when they thought like that's how we're gonna showcase this show is we're gonna read the finale of a season that i i think is obviously not good well you also said something last season that i'm beginning to consider now i seemed very close-minded to it last season but you were thinking that maybe this is going to continue beyond season two you said maybe this is just the first of many or this is like the first step into a larger story that's going to continue beyond this right i for Mm. some reason just thought nope it's going to all wrap up at the end of the season that's what i just think they're going to be doing i just seem very resigned to that fact and you've been right well some stuff was held over and brought into season three right but not much but given the fact that they've already stated that this is going to be a one-way trip into into this future, which I don't even want to get into, but they're there now, and this is where the show is going to get set. Yeah. I'm beginning to also think maybe I need to be less concerned with a sort of a timetable here, right? Like, maybe is okay, like, yes, at the end of the season, resolve some things, answer some questions, give us, give us something, <laughs> but is... You know, does this just continue beyond this? Because I don't think you build the Federation in seven more episodes and then, okay, now we're on to something else. Okay, I think that's a longer story arc, right? It's so, interesting. I've come around to your position. I think that they're going to wrap it up. I think yeah, they will stay in the future, so maybe, yeah, maybe they won't, they won't be back to the way it was. Right. But I think that we'll figure out the burn. Yep. We'll have some heartwarming moment of that's really what it is yeah reuniting of some people or some aspect of starfleet maybe they'll raise a flag over in san francisco or something or yeah um i think yeah i think we're gonna get it essentially wrapped up this season. Yeah, like only maybe. because i'm looking back at all the other runs uh, picard i thought also like oh this is it's too much they have to go to the next season they didn't yeah. so i think this is very much the mindset over there. It could be that because Admiral Vance is like in the earlier in the season, he said last week, he said, um, what do you say? Like we're down to, I forget the exact number, but he said like 35, 34 member worlds or something like that at our peak was 350. And I thought, and I'm thinking to myself like, you know, maybe it'd be nice that when the season ends, earth at least rejoins the Federation. Like they make their first sort of monumental stepping stone into this new world, right? Like maybe something like I'd be nice. That'd be nice. Right. Because here's the thing. I like what I said, forgive me. I like what I said a few weeks ago in that, you know, enterprise was about birth of the Federation. I like the idea that this could potentially be about the rebirth of the Federation. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Here I am calling it now. Last shot of the season. They're all under that tree again. Mm-hmm. Yep. With a Federation flag above them or something like that. Yep. Yeah. And maybe some, like, f- the first class of recruit new recruits for the Starfleet Academy yeah. in, 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 in 100 years. I think, I think that would be a nice bow on the end of the season, right? I think that'd be nice. At least yeah. make some strides to, to the, toward that, even though, you know, even if you know, even though you're not done, but at least get the stepping stones going and like, okay, well, 
Earth is now written back into the Federation. So it would be nice. Yeah. So this episode now the the the, the general plot of this episode is that Burnham is contacted by book by automated message and his ship shows up with grudge on screen, which I thought was really cute. Cause I like that cat and he's being held on this planet, a sort of mining. What was it? What was it? It wasn't a mining colony. It was like a salvage, salvage, a salvage planet, but it was had the vibe of a mining facility. Right. Which um, is why I made all the star Wars, the solo, a star Wars story. Right. Cause they had very much their escape. I feel had the vibe. He's being held by Jawas. It's fine. So, um, <laughs> And he mentions to her that he has one of he has a black box from a Starfleet vessel in the burn that would be of particular interest to her, and she well, wants to. Let's yeah. be accurate. He doesn't say he has any old black box. Oh no, he. Okay. He has the third. The third. Oh, excuse me. Okay. She already found the other two. Yeah. All right. Well, let me at least finish laying this out. That yes. we'll discuss that. So she, of course, wants to go back. Go get him to to get that, so she can solve the mystery of the burn. And of course, Starfleet's like, nope, or no, not Starfleet. Saru says, nope. We're now here for Starfleet. We will eventually find the answers we're seeking, but you know, we can't do that now. So naturally, she becomes cavalier and goes out, recruits Jojo, and sets out to go after it herself. Now, it's frustrating because suddenly the black boxes are important. And we, she tells Saru, when she's presenting her case to Saru, I want to go do this. She says, I have two already. And we're like, wait, what? And I remember in the, when she's reunited with Discovery, she's sort of going over with Saru what she did. And they show that montage of what she did while she was there. Now we see her getting one of them, right? But here's the problem. (laughs) I assume it's one of them because it'll stick with an NCC on it, right? No critical sort of like importance is placed on that moment. It's just one moment out of like five or six that they show. She's she's and she said I was trying to seek out information on the burn. Okay, somebody gives her this and then she's doing this. So it's just like mm-hmm. oh, you see it and you don't think anything of it. Right, and it was never named as a black box. Correct. It was a gray cylinder. Right, with a with a with a Starfleet registry number on it. Yes. And suddenly now this is important, and it's it's. It's confusing. It's something that could have been so easily that can be so easily missed in the in that in that earlier episode. Yes. That you're like, well, and you begin to think to yourself, like, okay, it's suddenly this is important. She says, I have two. I never saw that. Did I miss an episode? I really thought. I thought, how could I have missed this black box? It sounds so important. Right. She's already gotten two of them. I don't remember this. Right. And right. Here's the the part that is very frustrating for me is that. It's a cool idea. Right. I like the concept of how she's going to figure something out about it. Mm-hmm. But once again, we're being told about it after it's already happened. Right. So she wow. already found one and figured this out and came up with this idea of a way to determine it. Wouldn't that have been something good to include on the show? Watching Michael do her sleuthing and figuring out that these or, things couldn't provide the answer. Or if you can't show it, do you tweak that dialogue where he just says, hey, by the way, I have a black box from a starship that may help you. 
So yeah. like, don't establish it. There are two already. Like, oh, here's something that could help you. It's a black box from a down Federation starship. Yes, and then she could find it, and then they could look at it together. Maybe, oh, oh, boy. Okay, right. we're going down this road. Let's do it. Well, you did it she last season. It, and then her and, Tilly, her and Tilly could get an actual scene together doing something important and, you know, science it up, as she likes to say, and they could yeah. figure it out together. Right. And then maybe we would have a little more context for Tilly's statement of, I love Michael more than anyone on Earth. Yeah, because, like, it's, you know, so this... There's also uh, the second episode of the season when she brings up, I contacted Terrellesium. They never heard of my mother. You just gloss over that. Like, that was important last season. That's where mm-hmm. Discovery was supposed to go when they arrived in the future. And Saru's just mm-hmm. like, how come Saru's like, well, let's go there. Let's jump. Right. And find and, out. And you um, brought up the great scene where she was crying, right? Yeah. And telling her mother, I'll find you. Yeah, but what she should have said was, I'll call and ask if anyone's seen you, and then I'll never look into it any more than that. Well, it's like, now, one thing I keep saying is, don't forget, now, we've also felt, you and I felt like Michael is holding something back. Like, there's more stuff that happened to her in in her time that we just haven't seen yet. I keep pointing out, the first episode of the the season was called That Hope Is You, Part 1. There's no Part 2 yet right it's not on the episode listing either there's a chance these answers could be in that episode and if they are fine but what i don't understand is why do you hold that back yes it doesn't it's not adding anything to the show for us i like the idea of because there's no you know literary rule where you have to have part two follow part one I think it's a cool idea, like, if, say, you hold off part two, maybe, like, by, like, four or five episodes, you have, like, a sort of, so you have sort of, like, a mini cliffhanger in the middle of the season while you can focus on other things, but, like, we don't know when and if that, that Hope Is You part two is going to show up. And we don't know if That Hope Is You part two will actually be filling in that year. Right. We, we don't know that either. So I'm just, I'm just guessing here, because that seems yeah. to be the only place where we could see it. Because That Hope does not seem to be her right now. Right. And and also, and here's something else about that episode. What about the guy they encountered on that uh, space station? <laughs> like, yeah. how come, why don't they go back and get him? Because he was trying to figure out where the Federation was. He doesn't know if they're out there. Like, go back and get him. Can they not go back and get him? Did something happen to, also, do we see something happen to him in That Hope Is You, part two? And the poor guy, did they just take off and be like, all right, cool, we're going to Starfleet, then see ya. Right. That's not very nice. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. And but you know, again, by the way, if this hypothetical that hope is you part two episode has all these answers, great. I'm still left with how I don't get why you're keeping this from us. Right. And the other thing is that if there was some clear change in Michael, that. Like, let's say we were thinking at first, like, well, maybe she's disintegrating so many people because she had a tough year and she had to do some things she's not proud of to it's to make it in the cruel world of the future. Right. But that hasn't been consistent. Nope. Sometimes she's been a little bit more aggressive, but she's essentially acting the same as she always did. So there's nothing... I hate to say it again, but... <laughs> The mystery 
that they're they're giving us they're not deft enough writers in my opinion to um give us clues that we could even possibly figure it out it's just right we're just we're just not going to tell you we're not going to give you any clues to figure it out on your own we're just not going to tell you right and and, and I, that doesn't seem like a great you idea got, you got to give us a little something you got you got to tease us in some way yes yeah, we have to at least feel like we have some ability to um, yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Now, when they get to this planet, um, so I will say that the the sort of action happening on the planet I found very uninteresting. It just was yeah. not. Oh, yes. That was the least interesting part of the episode. I agree, and. It uh, you know, and I love Andorians. Yeah, and there was an Andorian, but I hated him. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I'm not saying it was bad. It just it wasn't hol- it wasn't holding me right. And like we were saying, there are things you're telling us but not showing us. When they get to this planet, they're dealing with a guy named Tolos, who is the nephew of somebody named Osira of this Emerald Chain. Now the Emerald Chain has been referenced a few times we've seen it a few times which told us that it's very dangerous starfleet told us it was very dangerous um but this name osira is name dropped multiple times i assume the leader of the emerald chain right we don't see her or him i think it's a her i think they established it's a her and i'm thinking to myself are you telegraphing a villain to us at some point like who is this who is this osira and why should i be afraid of this person. Yes. Am I supposed to be afraid of this person? So. I, I never realized that she was the head of Emerald Chain. I thought she was just the head of that scrap facility. No, her nephew, the the guy who the, the, the Orion yeah. they were dealing with was. Right. Well, I never got that from it. And now here's the thing that also, I guess, maybe could be something that's going to happen. But again, because it wasn't clearly spelled out. Vance was negotiating with Emerald Chain. Right. Oh, yeah. Now, and their negotiations broke down. It was at a sensitive point in the negotiations. They weren't sure what was going to happen. Now, Michael and George O have gone to the planet, destroyed their facility, take, took down their ship, probably killed her nephew. Right? So, um, chances are, Osiris is not going to want to deal with Starfleet anymore, and they could right. bring down a whole bunch of problems. But once again, <laughs> once again, we never saw this lady. Yep. And we sort of had to deduce that that might be a problem. But here's the thing: I'm so not confident in how the season is developing. If they to- if that is not a problem, it could, I feel like it could go either way. It, it could create a problem with Emerald Chain, or they might mm-hmm. just forget about it. Well, I'm also not feeling the the stakes with the Emerald Chain because. All we've seen of them is this salvage operation. We've seen a few of them get into hand-to-hand combat with the crew, and they're the they said that they said they were the the leading power in the galaxy, I believe, right? But I, as a viewer, I don't have a sense of that. No, they've I, given right? us nothing. So I don't, you know, when you take something like say the Borg or the Dominion, right away. We as the audience, because you know Starfleet and the Federation, they're the greatest thing. They're the greatest thing. 
since sliced bread, right? You know, they're great and, and uh, no, nobody can hurt them. But when you see the Borg, when you see the Dominion, like, take down a Starfleet vessel with such ease, that tells Starfleet, it, and it also tells you, the viewer, like, oh, shit, this is, this is for real. Right? Yep. It's like also thinking of the opening of the motion picture. Right. I mean, it's where you basic... see the Klingon ships get destroyed like nothing by this weird, right. ra- with weird like progressing field. I mean, you teach writing. It's it sounds to me like it's basic, like rules of writing. Like you know, even in Jaws, you you show somebody getting killed right away. You don't see the shark, but you at least you establish the threat right yeah. away to to keep your audience on edge. Right? Yeah. Think of it. Think about it. Think about I don't know Friday the Thirteenth, and yeah. it's like. You Basic see, a, I know that the first movie is different on that, but let's just say like you see a dude in a hockey mask, right? The yeah. whole movie, but he doesn't kill anybody until the like the last scene. You're not really going to be that afraid of him. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a good example, but it's like, yeah, you have to. It's just, it's the most basic part of writing, which is show, don't tell. Right. Like, what? Why not have when Discovery arrives in the future? They don't crash on the plant on this planet, or maybe they do crash on the planet. I don't know. But they immediately get raided by the Emerald Chain, and they maybe they take some of their dilithium and they're able to right. It immediately gives us the audience a sense of what this future is like, and the crew what this future is like, because it's going to totally blindside them. They're going to think, oh, the Orions, the Andorians, they're our friends. No, actually, they're not. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it bothers me a lot. Right. Because what we've seen of them, essentially we saw Michael single-handedly take out like 25 of them. Yeah, so they don't seem so, like a threat to me. So that doesn't seem very threatening. Right. And then we saw Michael and George O take out an entire planet facility of theirs. Doesn't seem very threatening. In the end of this, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you, you, you have not given us any reason to fear the Emerald Chain, or rather... Everything we've seen of the Emerald Chain, they don't seem like a threat. This is why. But, but you had one line of dialogue where a character told us they were a threat and we should be afraid. Mm-hmm. So what's more important to the viewer? Right. Multiple scenes where you see things happen, not the one line of dialogue. And it's the showing, it's the telling, not showing, that I feel this show does far too much. This is why after the Best of Both Worlds, the Next Generation episode where Picard's assimilated by the Borg they were hesitant to bring the Borg back after this because they defeat the Borg. They don't defeat the Borg in the first episode they encounter them in Q. They just, they get away. They find a way to defeat the Borg in this episode. And now that we've done that, that tells us that now they're not threatening anymore. Right. We're now we're going to defeat them at every turn after this, which is exactly what happened. Yeah. It's not like a night Borg, but yeah. It's like in the show Star Wars Rebels. Yeah. Because it's set during time when Vader is around. Yep. But they talked about how, like, we can't keep... We, we knew we weren't going to have Vader be the villain of the week every week because if you watch Darth Vader get defeated every week, mm. eventually he's not so scary anymore. Right. So they only brought him in a couple of times, and when they did, he was very, you know, powerful and very difficult to get away from. Yeah, and again, the whole planet sequence to me, I mean, there were some cool Easter eggs. Like you got to see, they, they pick up an old phaser from the 24th century. You see some of the old combat just like all that stuff was cool. But it, overall it was in a, it was a, for me, it was a very uninteresting. It was the most uninteresting part of the episode. And I even knew 
based on the trailer from the week before. I was like, I'm like, I don't know if I'm, I'm like, I don't know. This episode doesn't look very interesting to me. I mean, it was, it was a prison break episode at the end of the day, just to get a piece of information. And, yes. And, um, and yeah. it just, they tried to give it some life with the Andorian character, but right. I don't know. He, he was a, I don't understand the character. He was like bullied and he was very timid. And well, then when he saved book, I actually laughed out loud because I thought it was such a poorly shot scene. It looked like something from uh, a bad eighties action show, like the A team or something. Well, the thing is, I don't like what they've been doing with the Andorians in the show. Like they, like he looks like that Andorian specifically. I mean, he looks like he belongs on stage with like D Snyder. Right, like it looks like a yeah, you know, yeah. And why are they so green? And the color is all wrong. Like, what's with and the someone long- might say? Well, maybe there are different ethnicities on yeah, like Andoria. What's, what's, what's with the long wavy Aquanet hair? You know, like I don't. Well, they always had weird hair, but yeah, not like that. On this and show, they do. Not on the other ones. The females have weird the, hair. The, it wasn't female, like that. The females have long hair in the other the the in, on the other show, but yeah. My issue too with. Um, like that with the, why do they add all the extra stuff to their face? I mean, hmm. it, I guess they wow. did it with the Klingons. Like now you're getting into the Klingon record. territory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because he looked like if anyone has seen, look it up. Um, when Tim Curry plays the devil in the '80s film starring Tom Cruise, Legend, uh, the face looks a lot like that. If you take that Tim Curry character, mix it with the old Andorians, you get this guy. Hmm. And it's just entirely too much. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I mean... Okay, great. They Everybody escaped. They got the Andorian out. He's now on Discovery in the sickbay recovering, so I'm, so I'm sure we'll see him again. Oh, boy. But... Uh, no good. Yeah, I mean, all of that to get the to get this now important black box, I, just, I wasn't totally along for the ride so yeah, an important black box yeah. that we didn't know was important until the beginning of the episode yeah. it's another problem mm. so now but i think the most frustrating aspect of the episode happens when they get back when michael has to face the music with saru mm-hmm. i just Oh, actually, hold on. Before I get into that, let me ask you this really quick. Because they do rescue Book, and Book comes back with them, and they have that moment in the turbo lift. Now, how do you feel? Do you buy the Michael-Book relationship? Um, yeah, but here's why. I said this before, I'll say it again. I do too, by the way. The reason that Michael... The only reason Michael works for me as a character is, I think, unintentional. And that is some we've all known people in our lives that continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. Michael is one of those people. I don't know if they meant her to be that, but she keeps making the same mistakes over and over again in life. So I appreciate that there's sort of a realisticness to her in that way, because um, this seems like not a good idea. I'm with George on this one <laughs> when she right. said, uh, oh, with your Klingon boyfriend, it really worked great, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because I don't that didn't work for me at all. That did not work for me at all, that relationship with her and Tyler. Yeah. So, But when they get back, she now has to face the music for going rogue and taking Book's ship and not asking per- permission to do so. Well, she did, but she was denied. So she broke, she, she, uh, uh, you know, didn't follow orders. Yes, and what a bad 
plan of hers because she told um, Saru to, like, there was no gray area. <laughs> she told him, I will not go and do this thing. And then next scene, she's in the hallway talking to Giorgio to do it. Yes. But, I mean, obviously the Admiral is not happy about it. And then he leaves it to Saru to to handle this on his own. And she is demoted from being his number one. She's not stripped of her rank. She's now demoted to science officer. But this still has a familiar ring to it like it did when she uh, mutinied in the first episode. And you just think to yourself, like, what frustrates me is I don't... So it's two things. I don't know where they're going with this. But also, how do you go from telling Starfleet last week to prove yourself, let's show them who we are, to now doing this? Like, I just... (sighs) Right. And especially when... Because I was into it last week. I'm like, oh, she's commanding the ship. She's doing great. This is awesome. Yeah. 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 She gave the inspirational speech. Let's show them who we are. Yes. And then how do you... That's why I think the inconsistency of her character is, if she was, like I said, if she was like this the whole way, then we would think clearly her time that year away changed her. But she's flip-flopping from back and forth. Well, she's so dead set on solving the burn, right? And and like narratively, what's the what's the rush to solve it, right? Like I know that the uh, man on the relay station mentions it and you know he said that hope is you and i want to you know get the federation going again and he right but what is the immediate need within the context of the series to solve this it's 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 as if like something you know i think to michael it's more like personal like she like she needs to know she's got to do it but because she has that line i don't think the federation is going to ever be what it was if we don't figure this out but my question to that is, okay, Michael, why? why? Right. Tell me. How, right. how would that substantively change what's going on in Starfleet if you knew? Let's say they do it and they find out it was a natural disaster. Right. And all the isotopes of dilithium had been decaying right. at a certain level and they all just went at that moment. Then what right. does that change about Starfleet's situation? Well, I don't think it changes anything. And we said, like, what is Starfleet's, what's their plan right now? Are they just getting by? Like, do they have a, do they have a future? Like, I, I feel like she's trying to motivate them in some way, but at the same time, it's like Starfleet has been around post burn for the last hundred twenty years, right? Like, and now you have Michael Burnham coming along saying, "No, this isn't right." Like, in other words, I guess where I'm going with this is like, who is she to come along and say, "This isn't right." Right, and you know here's I mean? my biggest fear: is that the reason that she thinks it's so important to find out is because the writers know that it's very important, and it will save Starfleet. So they, she knows that because they wrote it that way. Right. But there's nothing in the actual situation to t- dictate to us, the viewer, that it's important. There's no like race against the clock. Like if we don't do this. There's no threat. Like, if we don't do this, this will happen. Yes, and no right. one has said that it's a problem that they don't know. No one has right. said, uh, if only we knew, then we could X. 
Right. No, nothing. It's it's and the Federation is clearly not trying to get back to their pre burn self. Right. No, I have no idea what they're doing. And and I don't know I what mean, their function is. If I mean if that's what it is, okay, but like at the same time, they don't show we were saying this last week, the week before last. Like, I don't understand how the Federation at this point can sort of lament the fact that, like, oh, dilithium is at a, you know, is at a pre. Like, they, I mean, assuming the burn happened when they said it did, because you know what my thoughts on that have been. But they weren't around pre-burn, right? They're treating it like they witnessed this happen, and that yeah, they remember yeah, what yeah. it was. They remember the. They remember the. They remember pre-burn life, and now they're stuck in this post-burn life. So, right, as if you, as if suddenly there was no gasoline on Earth. Right, but they would. And know. then you checked in like six months later. Yeah, we'd still it would still be chaos. But if you checked in a hundred years later, I think we would have figured something else out. Right. I mean, they talk about how like they tried other methods and nothing really worked out. But nevertheless, people in the Federation are carrying themselves as if they experienced this event and have memories of what it was like before this happened. And now ugh, we just got to, you know, when they wouldn't have any sense of that. I mean, I know that they have dilithium sort of, I guess I'm not really clear on that either. No, but like, even if there's a shortage of it, why would they view that as a problem if it's all they knew? Right. And I assume crimson. Emerald chain. <laughs> Emerald City has also <laughs> no dilithium. Right. So, um, so even playing field in, in one sense. Yeah. And of course, like, yeah, I'm, I'm frustrated by this, by this demotion thing because it, it's, it, it, Michael has been in there for a year. We saw everything that she went through in season two. It seemed like she was on the road to becoming a better person. And now we're just right back to where we, Started. And I'm, I'm, and we have no understanding of her motivation. That's the no. worst part. If we knew why she was doing any of this, I think that would be better. But we don't, because we don't know what happened during that year. We have no idea, and it frustrates me, like, so much right now. So I, I, I come out of this episode feeling very, feeling very frustrated right now. This just feels like it threw a monkey wrench in the whole, into the, in the whole arc of the season. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and one more little thing that's frustrating me, uh, but it's related. So Vance seems to always have the exact same level of frustration. Yeah. So I couldn't even tell. Was he more mad at Michael? Because he had the same level as he does whenever anything happens. Yeah, why is he so angry? Yes. Did you, <laughs> he's got no range. He doesn't go up or down. Right. He's always annoyed and, and a little bit pissed off. Yeah. And what? he seemed no more pissed off about Michael stealing a ship and going and destroying crimson and plus emerald chain he's been negotiating with emerald city wouldn't he are you have... saying it like that on purpose now yeah okay <laughs> um shouldn't he uh wouldn't you put it together and say whoa, whoa 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 wait you destroyed crimson tides uh facility we're negotiating. We're never going to line up at night. Like we're in the middle of delicate negotiations, and you destroyed their whatever. Oh my god, this is this is terrible. Like what? If, or, or what if when she got to the planet, there was like a envoy there, 
in the middle of negotiating, and she mo- ruins it in the middle of that. And we're like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah lots of things could have happened. That yeah. Again, I think you put it really well. The show, it's amazing that this episode did so much of it. Was the was the tell me instead of showing me? Yes, and they showed us something we didn't want to see. Like when (laughs) you really think about it, like all the stuff that we are having issues with, there's like there's like four or five things in this episode that they chose to tell us and not show us, which would have been beneficial to show us instead. Yeah, so they spent a lot of money on (laughs) having a prison break. Right, that was the other thing in the recording that we didn't get to when we didn't succeed at. You're like, you're like, do they do they spend too much money on sets? What's going on? Yeah, why can't is it? Yeah, because then I was thinking, well, maybe it's too hard because you got to have another set where she finds one, another set where she right. finds the other one. But no, that's that's ridiculous. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, so to re to to my final thoughts in this episode. I mean, I, I'm 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 very frustrated by it. I thought it did some interesting development for Giorgio. But overall, I'm just very, I'm very frustrated with this one. Um, I, I think, I think it's a mistake to suddenly prioritize things that we that have not been properly set up ahead of time, and now I'm supposed to like, I'm now supposed to change my expectations here and think like, okay, well now it's this instead of that. So yes, and, and not knowing that, and knowing, uh, or rather, knowing that. Next week, it could be something else. And, and, not only do we, with the ending, with what happens to Michael, it's an extra kick in our in the proverbial nuts because we don't even get to see what's on that black box in the first place that she recovered. You went to all right. that trouble getting it. Well, what's on it, Michael? Yeah, what's the result of your... I guess that's for next week. Was it worth... Like, um, like and even so, right? We so didn't find out what she's doing. Yeah. She's triangulating, which means she's going to find out, okay, it, it, this ship, it got hit this ship first, and this ship was in this location, and it hits this ship later. So the best she's going to be able to do is figure out what direction it came from. Right. She's not going to know exactly where. Here's the thing. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. Maybe a lot of what we're saying or complaining about could have been rendered moot if we find out at the end of the episode what was on that black box so that maybe all of this was worth the trouble. Yeah. But we don't even know that. It would have to have been something interesting, too. Like, yes. Well, it came from a place that we know, or at least, you know. Right. Like, some kind of... Yeah. like you know, Earth. You know what the show is not doing? It's not, like, doing any of those, like reveals like yeah it's there true. should have been a reveal at the end of this episode yeah no it's not doing reveals people are telling us about reveals <laughs> we're not experiencing them i mean i wouldn't be surprised if we hear secondhand about how things went with the black boxes i think this episode was ripe to have something revealed at the end and it just didn't no yeah it, but it, it falls in line with what you have said either tweak your dialogue slightly and it's okay or one more scene would have fixed this. I it's think still they got, I that. think it more than that. This this season, I think more than that. This season, I think it would have taken a whole reorganization. Well, we have so I will just segue us into our final segment of the episode where we talk about. So we're at the midway point of the season, pretty much, right? It, we're on episode six. There are thirteen episodes in total. Maybe there'll be fourteen. Maybe they'll reveal that Hope Is You Part 2 is coming at the end. Who knows? But at, as at this moment, we're more or less at the mid-season of the, of the 
season. And I'm going to ask you, you know, how are you feeling about it? And to kind of echo your sentiments that you said in the last failed recording session, that if you had asked me this last week, I would have said pretty good. But this episode, as I said, throws a monkey wrench in the whole thing, I feel like. Yes, if you can't tell from my commentary on this podcast, I'm feeling very um, not confident in mm. the direction of the season. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm 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 nervous for the for the for the future. I hope that this is the only time this happens because I'm looking forward to what's going to come next week, which is Unification Three. But I just I don't. You got to start giving us some answers here, guys. Like honestly. <laughs> yeah, and you got to you got to start showing us things. Yeah. If it's important enough that it, the direction of the episode hinges on it, right? Then you should show us, not tell us. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the you know what it is? you know what actually you know what the black box and the emerald chain and Osiris thing is this week. I mean, not so much maybe not so much the emerald chain, but the, I mean, this is what I said last week. This is Arium syndrome. You're introducing it really for the first time in this episode, and putting all the stakes on this, on something that we don't know anything about prior. Yeah, it, it's the second Red Angel, too. Yeah, it's Arium Syndrome. And it's especially that, remember the second Red Angel, because Spock walked into the room and said, this is the second Red Angel. And nobody questioned it. And we were like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, that's what this feels like, because it's like someone walks in and delivers information that changes everything. Yeah. But we, we don't know where it came from. Even if in this episode, if Michael still said, I have two already, and then maybe there was like a brief 60 second flashback of her getting, even though we didn't see them in an earlier episode, but there was some sort of like established flashback of when she actually did. That would have helped a little bit. I don't think it, yeah. you know. Or when she first was talking to Vance. Right. She said like, I've got two things and I don't know, something just, we, we should have known what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. So I, where we are with the season right now, I'm feeling very mixed. I think they got off to a good start, but this is now that episode. I'm fearing, like you said in the opening, this is that episode that's going to decide basically, is this the moment where it goes off the rails or is this the moment where it actually kind of gets itself together? But I'm I'm beginning to think it's the it's the former. It's it's beginning to get a little off the rails here. I but I agree. I think it's remarkable that this is the weakest of. I think you said it last week. Well, last yeah. attempt to record this. this is the weakest of all the absolutely the weakest Trek shows. Absolutely the weakest. With yeah. uh, aggressively the weakest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm sad to say that. At this point, mid-season, I mean, we didn't do a mid-season sort of how are we feeling last year or the year before last, but I remember saying, whatever episode it was, I have clear memories of saying in the episode we were recording last, around this time last year, last season, I said, you know, I'm beginning to get nervous that they're not going to get to the end of all of this and wrap it up nicely, which they didn't. 
Yeah. Um, at least they have seven episodes left here. They could, in theory, do it. My Am fear I is not that they will. I'm not. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say my fear is the same, but I, I'm still having a. I'm still getting nervous at around the same point this season as I was last season. Yeah, it's um. It's just ridiculous. you know we were saying, we kept praising them. They're keeping it simple. This is what they yeah. have to do: keeping it simple. And then today, all that was thrown off. You, doesn't don't you almost feel like? If you were just if you were to just erase this episode right now, like are the ramifications going to even do they matter? I get, well, I assume next week Michael's going to figure out where the burn came from and they'll go down that road. I guess I don't know. Well, so next week or this week, as of this recording, um, is going to be Unification Three, and just based on what we see in, in the trailers, you know, it focuses on the Romulans and the Vulcans, and as all Trek fans know. Unifications Part 1 and 2 are from the next generation, and they dealt with Spock trying to reunify the Vulcans and the Romulans. So, based on what I've seen in the trailer and sort of breaking it down and analyzing screen caps, seeing the Romulan badges, they have the Vulcan badge in there too, symbol, I'm going to assume that the two species have successfully reunified. Like, maybe the burn was so severe with them, they just decided, you know what, we've got to put our differences aside and work to help each other, because we're not going to survive this if we don't you know yeah yeah um that's what i'm hoping and i'm expecting there to be some sort of like spock name dropping there because this maybe the events of unification are going to come up and there could be some burnham stuff in there as well you know i don't know but right because let's not forget burnham was raised by vulcans for a fair amount of her childhood and we've sort of forgotten about that because it hasn't been important. She has not demonstrated any of those characteristics anymore. Yeah, because she has a breakdown it's every single episode. The whole aspect of her character has been... Because she has an emotional breakdown in every single episode. Yeah, so maybe she was just... It was built up from all that time on Vulcan. Well, that's a lot of building up because it happens almost every week. Well, you know, Vulcans yeah. are very serious about yeah. their emotional um, repression. So, yeah, I mean, I'm... If... I'm hoping this episode. I'm looking forward to this one quite a bit, and plus it gives us a, it gives us a chance to sort of not only check in on two legacy species, but also consider this: the Discovery crew has not encountered the Romulans before. They don't, because don't forget where they came from is pre-balance of terror, so they've not seen what a Romulan looks like. They don't know anything about this. So they get to get filled in on every... So there's the unification is going to mean nothing to them. Well, but there's also the chance. Also think of it like this too. I'm not expecting this, but I, I wouldn't put it past him. There's also that potential Picard connection there as well. Because Romulus has been destroyed 900, you know, I think at that point, what, 830 years earlier or thereabouts? So you got to deal with that. You know, yes. do the events of Picard with the Romulans add up to this? Probably not. I don't know if they're going to be... I mean, the Romulans are just the adversaries at that, at that point, so I don't know if it's going to... But wouldn't it be cool... Or, I mean, this is getting crazy now, but, like, what if the result of Picard, the Romulans decided that was kind of the spark where the two of them began to work together again or something like that? I don't know. I'm just... Oh, yeah. It could, there could be some ramifications there from Picard that we're not aware of, so... There's a so lot maybe of... Maybe they left... Maybe the, um... Or maybe the Vulcans left Starfleet. Yeah. Because of the unification or something. Could be a lot to it, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of... There's a lot of potential there for, um, you know, Easter eggs and connection to Star Trek lore and that sort of thing. So, 
just for that, I'm looking forward to it. But I'm just I'm hoping that it's not going to continue the trend that we saw. I hope I hope this last week does not did not set a trend. So. Yeah, I hope this episode goes back to the. I, I just hope it sort of is um, more of a standalone type of episode. Very cool. Well, uh, that episode's coming out on Thanksgiving in two days. So yes, you know, I, I told I told you this before, but it was funny that I looked at the calendar and I, I thought, oh well, there won't be a new episode on Thanksgiving. I, I don't yeah. know. My mind was in the broadcast days when they yep. wouldn't put new episodes on holidays. <laughs> but, I'll think about it now. I remembered that that doesn't happen. Anymore. I'll do my Ernie Anderson impression, like. Star Trek Discovery will not be seen tonight, so we can bring you the following CBS special. <laughs> right? It'd be something like that. In a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. But that doesn't apply to streaming things. But, yeah. you know, but I, I got to say really quick before we wrap this, that's one of the things about streaming that I wish that you don't get with broadcast stuff. Like, you don't get, like those network things that, you know, cause I, I'll go on YouTube and like people like uploaded, like, you know, recordings of like, Oh, here's what was on ABC at the commercial breaks of like ABC during like September 28th, 1979. Right. And oh, yeah. all the network, know. you know, bumpers and that sort of thing. You don't get that with streaming. So I, I just, right. yeah. It's very remarkable that when I watch those ads, so many of them, I, as soon as it starts, I remember the rest of the ad. It's amazing that that stuff is hanging around in my brain. Yeah. A little sad, probably. Nah, that's great. I don't know. Do I need a Molly McButter ad in my brain? I don't think so. I don't even know what that is. Molly McButter. My favorite, a favorite one that I saw. So I was watching one of those YouTube videos I was telling you about, like, you know, commercial breaks, 1979. One of them advertises, get the all new Betamax home recorder. So the, the whole like episode, the whole commercial was about like, this family gets home, they're rushing through dinner, they're rushing through this, they're rushing through that so they can get to watching their show that comes on in 10 minutes. And I'm just like, my God, that's just so antiquated. <laughs> that is so antiquated. Yeah. yeah. But I'm. But the thing is, I'm old enough to remember, I mean, because that was the case until like the mid, late 2000s. Right? Like, well, I mean, you could DVR stuff, but like, I, yeah, unless you had a VCR, like you had to tape that stuff. And so... I mean, yeah. I had a VCR growing up, but we didn't have. It. But here's the thing: we didn't have a VCR in every single room. Right. So. And I remember my family. I don't know. Either ours either wasn't programmable, or nobody figured out how to program it. Because if they wanted to watch show, they would just get us a, a tape and put on a super long play. When they go out, they put on the eight-hour tape to record all night, and you have to fast-forward through it to find the show. Yeah. Oh yeah, I have plenty of those tapes. I have to. Re- I should. If I go to my parents' house on Thanksgiving, I should try to grab some of them because I do have a VCR around here for uh, nostalgia purposes. So I should, uh, I should grab should. those. And I, I, we have the 1986 World Series on tape. <laughs> that, I, that's interesting. I would yeah. watch that. I was like, I, I turned two that year, so or no? Wow. Yeah. I remember watching it. Um, that actually reminds me. One of the things I did uh, during shutdown, and there was a lot of time. I. Um, I watched, I picked the year from the 80s that the Celtics were in the playoffs that I wasn't sure if they won or the Lakers won because I know each won some. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I watched the whole series <laughs> not knowing who would win. So I was actually watching it as like, you know, it was uh, exciting. Yeah, like you know how the series turned out, but you just didn't know which game was the, win- no, was I, the one. Yeah. I, no, I didn't know. I knew that. Oh, you didn't. Oh. I, didn't, I didn't know which team won that year. <laughs> 
That's amazing. And one of them actually had all the commercials. That was really fun. That's amazing. Yeah, and it was it was was really fun. I mean, do you remember who won each one? No. Didn't watch it. It's great. Not at all. I'm not. Well, the thing is, I'm not into sports, so like, you could I I could watch last year's Super Bowl and I wouldn't even know. Oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) But I get your point. I'm not that into sports either. You're more good likes the Celtics. I mean, yeah. I used to play basketball, but um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that was fun. So we're gonna yes. be back probably this week. I, I think we may even record something on Thanksgiving since we're probably not gonna be doing anything on that day anyway. So maybe we can get this right. other episode out faster. Yeah. And if we don't, I'll record something that says "In Star Trek We Trust" will not be seen tonight. <laughs> so we can bring you, yeah, peanuts Thanksgiving. Exactly. Soft so we can bring you our impression of the Peanuts Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh, I should create something like that for our. Uh, I should create something like that for our uh, primetime oddities. No, that'll be fun. Podcast. Primetime oddities will not be heard tonight. So we can bring you the following NBC special. The uh, President Ronald Reagan debating Walter Mondale. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. We'll find a we'll find a place for that, and I will do that. All right, excellent. So in the well, meantime, everybody can email us at instartrecretrust at gmail dot com. Yeah, and but seriously, can, email us. And you can tweet us. I'm looking. Yeah. I don't get anything. I don't get anything. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip, but I don't get anything. Um, and you can tweet us. Tweet us at Star Trek. We trust. We read everything. We do. We want to read things. Give us things to read. We, we we love providing this to you for free, but all we ask in return is some messages. We do. Uh, well, in the meantime, thank you all for listening. Peace out. And for those in the U.S. homeland, have a safe and wonderful Thanksgiving. Later, skaters. Peace out. Peace out.